Have you ever wondered the best way to celebrate your birthday and then realized it was having a live stream of your own podcast with your friends? Oh, yeah. So me and Allison both have birthdays in June. I'm June 1st. Allison's June 20th. So we decided we're going to do a live birthday extravaganza on June 15th at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time with Allison's friend Rachel and my friend Cerise. Because it's a party, baby. You're invited. We're having a birthday party live on camera. (laughs) (laughs) Melissa will be there. It's going to be so much fun. We're going to do topics. We're going to play games uh, and come and celebrate our birthdays with us. We're excited to do an expanded version of the regular Just Between Us podcast that's focused on joy and celebration and the year ahead. We're going to take questions from the audience. We're going to get grilled by our closest friends. (laughs) (laughs) So please join us on June 15th at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. The link will be in the description. We'll also put the link on Instagram, which is at JBU Podcast. Um, And come celebrate with us. And if you can't make the live event, you can get access to the video for seven days afterwards. So make sure you get your ticket now and happy birthday to us. Happy birthday to us, baby. Gemini season. Chaos. (laughs) Forever. I'm Alison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and one of the diamonds fell out of my engagement ring. <gasps> Hi, I'm Gabe Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and I'm sorry, I just had to gasp. I know, it's gasp-worthy. What the, f- what happened? So I noticed it the other day. You don't know where it is? I think it's in the shower or went <gasps> down the drain because my ring has always been a little big, but it's one of those things where like at, at, in the morning it fits, and then by night my my finger is too small. Because, I know the human body's crazy. Right, I'm I'm expanding, I'm contracting, I'm expanding, <laughs> I'm contracting, and um, I took a shower. It must have been like Monday night. I took a shower, and my ring like flung off my <gasps> finger in the shower, which has never happened before. And I didn't think much of it other than, uh oh, that's not good. And I put it back on, and then the next morning I was looking at my hand, and one, it, it's a. A diamond ring with like nine different diamonds where three on the side, three in the middle, three on the other side. And uh, the side ones are smaller. And and so one of the corner ones, the, a little diamond pops pop right out. Oh, my God. So whoever finds that. Well, no one's going to find it. It's probably down my drain. Yeah, but maybe there's like sewer people sort of scouring for for diamond money. You know what I mean? There must be a lot of if you went down into a sewer and really looked, there must be a lot of really valuable stuff. Well, what's interesting is I was like, okay, well, I can either take this as some sort of sign about my upcoming marriage or but we or we're we're past that, baby. Or what I can say is this is a sign about how important it is to have good insurance. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) We're past it, baby. We don't do that kind of like magical thinking anymore. No, but we do love insurance. And so it's not I mean, it's annoying, but it's not a huge deal because the ring's insured. And so I'm going to we're going to go. Well, we we needed to go to the jeweler anyway to get our wedding rings. So we're going to go tomorrow and um, try to get our wedding rings and then also get them to to fix it. But I don't know if I should size the ring down or not. I think you should. Sometimes, Why are you wearing it in the shower? To shower? Because I don't take it off ever. 
Well, I'm going to go see, talk to the people, see if they think I need to size it down. I think you do. Yeah, but I'm going to be adding another ring below it. So I have to, I have to figure that oh, yeah. in too. You know what my mom did? My mom had her wedding ring and her engagement ring fused together. So she had them two on her finger and then she had uh, the engagement ring. She had the diamond like kind of infused into the wedding band. So it was like one ring. Yeah, but then it doesn't give me options because what if I just want to wear the smaller ring somewhere yeah. for some reason or if I just want. But it's a good idea. But also she injured her hand one time. I think she has a brand new one because she injured her hand and they had to cut the ring off her finger. And like, I, I think that was the end of that ring. My sister lost her engagement and wedding ring. What? Yeah, she just like lost them and then had to get them replaced. That is, in, that is so... <laughs> was she stressed about it or no? No, because of the beauty of insurance. insurance. <laughs> and you know what? When that happens, I'm like, I truly hope someone in desperate need of a ring found it. You know what I mean? Probably like, in the pipes. I guess. No. Well, then I'm going down to the sewer and I'm going to get everybody's diamonds. I'm diving down into the sewer under your house right tomorrow as soon as I get a moment. I don't think you know the accurate pricing of a small diamond. I think you're a little too motivated to find this. I'm so, but I'm going to find a bunch of other stuff. I'm going to haul it to the pawn shop and I'm going to have a field day. Okay. <laughs> this is just between us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games. And brutal honesty. We are finally bringing you the episode you have all been waiting for. It's about dogs. It's the dog episode. It's the dog episode. It's gonna be great. And we learn about dogs. Yeah, so we did a cat episode before we did a dog episode, which honestly is truly wild. Off-brand. Off-brand. Though I do like, I like my boyfriend's cat. But uh, yeah, so we have finally a dog episode and Allison and I get to the root of dog behavior and talk about dogs, but also we get advice about our own dogs. I know, I kind of forced that in there. You commandeered. I was like, I want some free advice. <laughs> I, I was I was part of the problem. <laughs> no, it's good. It was probably advice other people need. It's a really fun interview. I think you guys are going to really love it. And later, we're going to be talking all about Taylor Swift's new boyfriend and guilt by association. Yeah, I'll say I don't know if it's her new boyfriend, but we'll talk. We're talking about guilt by association through the lens of Taylor Swift and Maddie Healy. <sighs> yeah. But first, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means? Hit it! International question. International question. International question. Anonymous. Canada. Truly international. Truly mysterious. That's what I love. Dear Allison, Gabe, and of course, Melissa. Oh, hello from Canada. I, 27 female, have been with my boyfriend, 29 male, for almost two years, and we have lived together since two months in. We met through a mutual friend during a time when I participated in many get-togethers, parties, and to put it simply, drinking occasions with his friends. He has a large group of friends that frequently get together at least once a week. These get-togethers often end up going into the wee hours of the morning, 3 a.m., with many drinks consumed, and typically it is at a bar. I have very few friends, which is my one best friend, our mutual friend, my mom, and my team leader at work. Eight months ago, I quit drinking after having alcohol-induced panic attacks, breaking out an alcohol-induced rosacea on my face, and really struggling the next day with depression when I chose to drink. I have now started enjoying cannabis recreationally, and I'm feeling positive about my new lease on life. It's the best choice I've ever made for myself. 
and has really improved my own relationship with myself. At the beginning, I forced myself to continue going out with his friends. I have heard through the mutual friend that his friends have said rude things about me behind my back, and even all of his friends were going to Mexico, and my boyfriend invited me. I declined going since I sell real estate, and it was the peak time of year, spring, my marketplace. But I heard that his friend, 29 female, even said that if I choose to go, she would call me and personally disinvite me. I haven't had an issue with her, but now I'm hearing that she makes comments that I sit around looking miserable and seem disinterested when people talk to me, which might be true because I don't particularly find any of them interesting. Oh, man. And drunk conversation is not what I consider a good time any longer. I've chosen to stay back a couple of times when my boyfriend goes out and I end up feeling really abandoned. I've tried to ask him to tell me about it in advance. If you're going to invite me, I need the plans. But this just isn't the way the night goes, he tells me. It seems there is no plan and it's always last minute. On top of not drinking, I am also vegan and these places are all really loud, no food for me. And on top of that, with people I am sure have spoken their fair share of shit about me. Not only that, I work every day of the week and not being on top of my game can literally cost me tens of thousands of dollars. How do we find time together when I barely have time and I feel like when I do have time, the friends are chosen over me? Part of me wonders why I allow myself to want someone who obviously has a bigger love of this drinking going out lifestyle over me. Is it my fault since this is who he was since the beginning and I'm the one who changed? I tried to ask him to have one date night per week and then he can also go out with his friends. These rules seem frivolous to him. And if we don't go out for date night, he should still be able to go out with his friends, he says. How can I stop hurting every time he leaves? You're asking the wrong questions. <laughs> this relationship has run its course. At one point it served you. You guys had a great time. It was fun. And now I don't think it's a bad thing to change. I don't think it's a bad thing to want different things. Nothing's your fault. There's no inherent obligation in a relationship for everybody to stay the exact same and want the exact same things. And I think if he wants to, there's nothing wrong with his life. Like. There's nothing wrong with his life. There's nothing wrong with your life. They're just different and incompatible. You know, I'm almost 35. I like I like to party. I still party. That's fun for me. I'm with someone now who happens to also like that. It's just also like, look, his friends are talking shit about you. They wouldn't invite you to this thing. They, there's no it's just like your relationship is not working and that's completely fine. And you are free to move forward and move on. Yeah, I mean, when you meet somebody, you always hope that as you change, you'll change in the same way or in ways that enhance each other. Mm -hmm. But sometimes the change really does kind of cause people to go off on like two diverting paths. And it seems like like that's what's happening. And and I think that like even if we remove the fact that his friends are talking poorly about you, like what Gabe said there's now just kind of a lifestyle inconsistency. Mm -hmm. And there are some people out there where like, you know, like I feel like my sister, her husband will like go out with friends or like go on a guy's trip and like she doesn't care. It doesn't bother her. She just like goes to sleep and like doesn't even know what he's up to, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, whereas like it, it, it is bothering you. So that's the other thing is like sometimes different lifestyles aren't an issue because it's fine to have your life. I have mine and we're mm -hmm. together when we're together. But if it's something that is bothering you and you feel left out and it also feels like, oh, we, we aren't even having any time together. It's not just he's out till 3 a.m. It's also I have no FaceTime with him. We have no time to connect. Then I think it really is time to 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 reassess and probably to part ways. And then the cherry on top is 
that his friends are talking shit about you. I mean, like, and that you're he's not and that he's okay with def- that. Yeah, he's not defending you. And so, like, we should be allowed to talk to our friends about our relationship. They should be able to support us. But that's different than someone actively being like, I don't like your partner and I'm going to talk shit about them and uninvite them from something. Yeah. And so at this point, it just doesn't feel like it's serving you. And it's scary, but it's also like something you can totally handle. I think when we live with a partner, it can feel like I'm going to up in my whole life. This is going to like, it's too much. I can't, I can't handle it. But the reality is, is like, you absolutely can. You of all people should probably be able to find yourself a nice new place. Right. You're a real estate. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's just like ripping off that Band-Aid and like trusting that your future self can both like handle this and and deserves better and more than what you have right now. You're still young. And I think you've made a lot of really great, healthy strides for yourself. And so, yeah, I agree with Allison. You will absolutely be able to handle this. You will absolutely be able to like move forward in a way that allows you to make the money you want to make and feel better in your, you know, in your body and not having like the rosacea or the depression or whatever it is. Like you've made these positive changes for yourself and you don't have to feel badly about that or feel guilty about that. So I, yeah, I think maybe it's time to break up. And I think in, in heading into that conversation, there is a way to frame it that is like, this is one of our faults. And then there's a way to frame it that we've grown apart, that we just like different things. We operate differently now. And as much as there's love here, like it's just, there's an incompatibility that we can't ignore. I think that's a way to not place blame and not either beat yourself up or beat him up and Mm -hmm. and just kind of accept that. Unfortunately, sometimes these shifts happen. Because sometimes like, yeah, it's hard to join a friend group. And, um, you know, I'm thinking of some a friend who joined a group who it's taken a few months for us to really get to know his personality. And at first he was very overwhelmed. And then everybody like the idea of like, oh, you're sitting out kind of like a sourpuss, whatever. And then it just like everyone made an effort and was nice and got to know this person and they opened up and now they're part of the group and everything is great. But like this this other aspect of like, oh, I'm going to talk shit and I don't want them around. They look like they're not having fun. And also to the extent of like drinking and and partying, you know, my dad got sober years ago and he doesn't really have the same friends that he had because that's just kind of, you know, if you talk to other sober people, that's kind of a, a thing that happens is that you start to have different friends because you, you think, oh, I can go out to these places sober and still have a good time. And like, you can't, you, uh, sometimes you can't, you know? <laughs> and I think, I think accepting and embracing change instead of seeing it as always a negative is, yeah. is helpful. Agreed. So hopefully that helped. If you want to submit your questions to Just Between Us, you can send an email to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about dogs with our guest, Shannon Mitashevsky. Stay tuned. Back to just between us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, most controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. This week on the show, we have Shannon Mitashevsky, the walker in chief at Walks and Borks, a boutique dog walking agency that also chaperones pampered pooches at weddings and has recently branched out into pet friendly social events. That's right. It's the dog episode. 
It's the dog episode. Shannon, we can't thank you enough for being here. I love this because this was one of those situations where you actually reached out to us and we were like, absolutely, please. (laughs) I did. Yes, I already listened to the pod sometimes and I love it. And I remember hearing um, just in one of the intros, you guys talking about your dogs. And I was like, oh, yeah, cool. They love dogs. That's great. And then you had, I think, a listener question and you guys were talking about it. And I was like, going to write you guys something in and be like, this is what I would do, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, actually, why don't I? They seem to love dogs. Could I come and talk to you about dog training and positive reinforcement and how dogs work and hopefully dispel some myths about dogs? So I thought, why not? Let's... um have a chat and see if they'll let me. And then you guys did, which blew my mind. <laughs> so this is a wonderful example of if you don't ask, you don't get. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Or if you think that there's a topic we want to cover on the show and you're an expert, hit us up clearly. Like we've had multiple listeners on the show as guests because yeah. they have an expertise we want to talk about. So we love it. And I think what really drew me to your email was this idea of the dog training element of it and the positive reinforcement because. I have a lot of thoughts about dog training and like what we should expect of our dogs. And um, I I never know if I'm wrong. (laughs) I guess like what is your philosophy, like your overall philosophy when it comes to caring for dogs and training dogs? So I am, I mean, I have this pet care business, but, um, and we do dog walking and all these really fun things, but my main focus is dog training and I'm an IMDT. So qualified dog trainer. So I um, studied through the Institute of Modern Dog Trainers and we practice positive reinforcement, which is ethical science-based dog training. So I love it so much. And I'm going to try and keep it as concise as possible without going off on an absolute tangent of how much I just adore it. (laughs) But it is science-based. So we are like adding. So when we talk about positive reinforcement, we are trying to add reinforcement to behaviors that we like. So it is what is recommended by the Australian Veterinary Behaviour Association and the American, and I'm sure the British one as well, and we don't use adversive methods. So there's no prong collars, there's no shock collars, there's no putting pressure on our dogs in ways that are going to stop behaviour from happening. But I also love it because it's kind, and I am a force-free dog trainer as well, so I try to practice giving them a lot of choice and not coercing them into doing things they don't want to do. So yeah, when it comes to positive reinforcement, I really do want dogs to, my whole goal with dog training is to make sure it's less about getting them to comply. It's about building a relationship with our dogs and finding what works for them and for us. So, you know, I know that sometimes they do absolutely bananas things and you're like, why is that the choice? But how can I make it easier and manage this problem if and deal with these things in a team with my dog as opposed to being in charge or making them do things that aren't necessarily going to be fun for them, but work for us and take the ego out of dog training and have a nice, have it. It's supposed to be fun. You have a dog to have fun. So how can we make dog training a nice time for everyone? That seems like such an opposite view of the old way of thinking about dogs. Like I remember all this stuff about like, you're the master and you have to show them that you're in charge and all of that stuff. So like, is this kind of a new school of thought? It is when it comes to like dominance theory and that kind of like we need to be the boss and stuff like that. Oh, I mean, I can go into it if you'd like. I would like. So it all came from a man named, I think, Rudolf Schenkel, who studied some wolves in a zoo. And what he observed was them trying to fight for dominance. And it's all trickled down into 
looking, going, oh, dogs come from wolves. So this makes sense. So these, these wolves got stuck into this zoo. They weren't from a family unit. It's a sterile environment. They didn't know each other. And then that created, that's like chucking a bunch of people randomly into this situation where they're just like, I don't, who's in charge? What's going on? With wolves in the wild, they are a group, like a family unit. So they've got like, there's the parents are in charge and, you know, there's people coming and going, but it's generally a family unit. So popping them into this zoo and having them fight for everything, he observed that and went, well, that makes sense. They're doing that. This is what dogs must do. Dogs came from wolves. This is what's happening. And then very quickly realized his mistake. And that's just tr- like stuck with society. Everyone's kind of, that's what's going on. It's like, oh, no, no. And he realized very quickly, oh, no, I've made, an, I've made a bit of an error. I shouldn't have um, said that. And he's actually retracted that, but it's kind of stuck with everybody. So with positive reinforcement, we are literally adding to a behavior. So we, whatever behavior we would like, we reinforce that behavior. And hopefully if they are learning, that behavior will increase. So that is the opposite to adding punishment, which we can only in positive reinforcement and in behavioral training, either have reinforcements or punishment. So we can either increase a behavior or decrease a behavior. This is why positive reinforcement I love because we're going to be constantly setting our dogs up to succeed and asking them for things that we like. So whenever I get a client that, you know, wants something, they've got like, they come to me with a problem. I was like, what would you like them to be doing instead? And a lot of the time people will say to me, I just want them to stop barking. I want them to stop jumping. I want them to stop pulling on lead. It's like, okay, but what is the behavior you would like instead? So we can start to reinforce the behavior that we like instead, instead of, or if, if you just get them to stop doing it, we've added a punishment to it. And that can actually, obviously, if we're adding punishment, we are going to be possibly breaking our bond with our dogs. We can have a thing called fallout. So if you are correcting your dog, or if you were using a choke chain and correcting them or a electric shock collar or something like that, it's called fallout. And it can create quite a bit of anxiety in our dogs because they are not linking the two together. So it creates this, is it because I pulled on the lead that I got corrected? Is it because a man with a hat walked by? Or is it because a loud noise happened? They can't really put that two and two together. So we do end up having this dog that can potentially have more anxiety and fall out from using adversive methods and adding punishment. So reinforcement, positive reinforcement really does uh, set them up to succeed, which is why I like it. <laughs> I love that. And I love like that it's really based around, you know, your relationship with your dog. And something that I think like I've seen a lot of people talk about online is like the what it's like to have a a reactive dog and how that can be really stressful for the person. But can we talk a bit about like why dogs are reactive and like how to have more empathy for them in the moment? Oh, for sure. And I, I fully understand that having a reactive dog is stressful. It can be it can be stressful. It can be embarrassing. You can be like, why are you doing this? Like, and you want to be able to take your dog out into the world and do all these fun things with them. I think reactivity a lot of the time, and I've seen a lot of old school with that old school method that you need to be in charge and they need to be well behaved, that they aren't thinking about the dog's emotional welfare in that moment. So when our dogs are reactive, most of the time, not always, there are always exceptions to rules when it comes to different types of reactivity. You might have a dog that is lunging and growling and barking, or you might have a dog that is just acting like a silly goose. Um, (laughs) I have a client that's dog gets really just, he gets, he's technically reactive, but he just gets wide-eyed and giddy. And you're just like, you've gone over thresholds. So it's always really important to think about when we've got, especially reactivity, 
is how the learner, our dog, feels. So if I just deal with it as an obedience issue, that your dog is barking and carrying on around other dogs, and I need to be boss and getting them to heal and sit, sure, maybe that'll stop them from acting the way they're acting, but it's not stopping them from how they're feeling because they're reacting in that way because they are either afraid or panicked or stressed or something is going wrong that that we as their owners need to consider. So I always want to always think, sit. It's the, um, I don't know if you got, I mean, Alison, you might've heard of Pavlov. We always want to be thinking about like the association (laughs) and the emotional response. Yes, exactly. So the emotional response. So if our dogs are being reactive, how can we get them out of the situation? How can we calm them? How can we make sure they're not reaching threshold? And not having that big meltdown and feeling like they need to be in the situation where they do need to have that reactive. Because once they've reached threshold and become reactive, their poor little brains can't take in any more information. So we've gotten to the point where we're just having a big meltdown and they can't learn or make a good choice. Or So we, as their owners, need to be the ones to advocate for them and get them out of the situation and stop that from happening to begin with. Does that make sense? Yeah, Yeah, like preventive. Yeah, for sure. Because sugar is very reactive. Like she, she will oh. bark at other dogs, and it's not all the time. Like it, like every time we pass a dog, it's like, "What's it gonna be today, sugar?" But I, <laughs> I do notice that if she gets upset about something, like if, like at the beginning of a walk, if if something startles her, or like she sees a dog immediately, she will get into these moods where like it's gonna be a nightmare of a walk. Like everything is gonna set her off. Like she's gonna bark at every single dog. But then there's other times where like yeah. she's just kind of in like a more chill mode. And I'm like, oh, this is a different dog. <laughs> yeah. I do some walk and trains with dogs and some some of them are training like loosely actual skills and some of them are just building confidence. And those are honestly sometimes my favorite ones because you can see them just chilling out with you and going, okay, this is really fun. But I often will tell clients, if your walk at the start is not going well, don't do the walk. Don't go. Don't go that day. Go do something else with your dog. Go do a big sniffy walk. Go do some enrichment activities with your dog. Do some training instead because all of those things are still going to tire your dog out and they're still going to have a fun time and we're not putting them in the position where they might have to react. I also always encourage people to think about like, what's your dog's week or the, the, the morning been like? Has it been full of triggers things like there's a thing called trigger stacking which can be bad things and it can be good things so a good example is when I have three dogs uh I have a rottweiler a sharpe and a chihuahua (laughs) yes it's a very fun weird I just love the visual of that (laughs) yeah really (laughs) it's ridiculous but when our rottweiler was about 15 months it was being a little teenage dirtbag and I thought okay let's not go for our regular where we would normally go let's go somewhere that is quieter it's on lead we're not going to run into off-lead dogs and but the excitement of us one putting the harness on oh my god that's exciting so that was a little like positive trigger but like a little thing into the bucket of emotional like a little emotional bucket so it's gone in there and then we've gone in the car and we've gone with mum and dad and then we've gone out to this new place and all of these little things have added up and added up and then he accidentally got a bit of a fright from a dog who we didn't see like behind a wall when we got out of the car freaked him out and he had a big meltdown and had a big reactive like explosion of barking and carrying on and we were just like and even me as a dog trainer was like oh no I've broken the dog and my husband's like no no it's okay he's just just being a teenage boy it's okay (laughs) like everything's fine but 
in that moment, I'm like, okay, so thinking about like what that morning was like, how can I then get him to snap back to it? Can you, can I get you to focus? So I asked for a couple of little um, foundation skills that we know and get him to like come back to me. But thinking about even clients that have dogs that are constantly reactive, have you had tradies around? Have you moved house? Is there a new, like what's been going on in your week that might, your stress, if you've been a bit grumpy around the house, they're picking up on like things are happening. There's a lot going on. So if that's kind of occurring in your home or, you know, in your neighborhood, maybe we don't go for a walk that day and cause them to have that reaction. Yeah. I have a friend whose mother will say, gosh, we have the worst luck with dogs. All of our dogs that we've ever had are so (laughs) anxious. And me and my friend are like, yeah, because you're anxious. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, bless. Yeah. I mean, that's true, right? It can be. And I, I, I'm always a bit, a little hesitant to, they don't fully feed off. I mean, they do feed off us a bit. There's different factors when it comes to anxious dogs. So it can be breed. It can be how much training they've had. It can also be genetics. So if their mums were stressed when they were pregnant with them, if they were bred from dogs that were potentially like already anxious dogs, and then they like somebody's bred those dogs, there's a load, if they weren't socialized correctly when they were puppies, um, cause we've only got till 12 weeks to socialize our dogs. And after that, they're kind of, they're starting to, we're having to counter condition and do other training methods to get them okay with things. But I think the idea that we have dogs and they should be friends with other dogs all the time and that they should be cool with people all the time. They're like us when we're little, we, when, when you look at little kindy kids, they will hug each other and run around and don't really care about like what's going on. And as we get older, we get more picky with who we're friends with and then we get to adults and we're kind of like oh yeah there's this is our friend group this is it so it's not unsurprising that a lot of dogs who are adults that go "Eh, I'm not actually into running around at a dog park or I'm not interested in uh, going to dog daycare because it's just a mosh pit so having dogs that are maybe not anxious but just a little bit more like selective with who they are is pretty normal but um, they do kind of, I mean, if if I'm stomping around my house and being grumpy all the time, my dogs are probably going to be like, oh God, something's mm. something's going on with that lady. What's happening this week? I don't know. So can I ask a my dog specific question? You can. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Which is I'm, I'm, I'm selfishly abusing my power as the host right now. But so a weird thing that I have noticed is uh, Phantom is my second dog that I got. I don't know, like a year and a half ago. So he's a newer addition to the the group. Mm -hmm. And when we first adopted him or when we were first fostering him, he was great with other dogs. He would run around in the park. He like loved them. He didn't bark at them. And now flash forward to, he doesn't seem to know how to interact with other dogs. He barks at them. He like scares them. He'll bark at them from across the street. He seems to be like picking up sugar's reactivity. Like, is that just like, oh no, I've, I've learned bad things from my, older sister? Is that like I'm settling into this new home and my personality's changed? Like, because it, it feels, it feels like he lost all social skills. Oh, when people ask me questions about dog training, I'm always like, it's, I can give you some, gen- it's like, it's like being a lawyer. I can give you some general advice, but without seeing the dog, I would hate to like oh, totally. give you full on, <laughs> this is what you should do. But there are a few things that obviously can, how old is he now? He's probably four Oh, okay. There are a couple of things that can like be the cause of that. You're right. Settling into a home. Sometimes it's a 
I hate to say blessing, but sometimes when our dogs are worse behaved with us, we know that they're more comfortable with us. So dogs that sometimes have been fine, they're just like, because this this works for me, I'm doing all the fun things. But as they get more comfortable, sometimes dogs do feel like they're like, oh, this is my safe person. This is my safe place. This is all fine. So I don't need to constantly like essentially mask what, like how I feel. They're like, yeah, I can just be be myself. And they're letting you know, they are constantly letting you know how they feel because that whole idea that people say I wish I could talk to dogs I'm like dogs are constantly telling you what they want what they need so for phantom I mean what kind of what breed is he because that also could factor into why he's potentially acting the way he is I would recommend truly just get a positive reinforcement trainer to come and speak to you about it in person and assess your like routine and all of those things is he getting enough sleep what's he eating all of these things factor into the way our dogs behave. So it's not unfortunately, I wish it was a blanket, like magical thing we could just like throw on top of them and be like, problem solved. Yeah, it's this weird thing. He's, you know, we don't know what he is. I think he his DNA test said like mostly poodle and chihuahua with a little Bichon. But what's interesting is, is observing the two of them because I get, and this is like, again, I have no idea if I'm right, but I get the sense when both of them are barking at another dog that Sugar is saying, fuck you, get away from me. And Phantom is shouting, oh my God, we gotta play. Yeah. But like, yeah. but it is, but it is the same action. And then the other dog is like, whoa, I hate these dogs. <laughs> Even though I get the sense that Phantom is barking from a place of like excitement and wanting to play, where Sugar is, I think, barking from a place of fear. Yeah. But then I'm as the owner, like, am I just projecting? I don't know what they're what they actually think. <laughs> So I definitely would recommend having someone come out and speak to you about it. I do actually have some clients like this. One of their dogs is terrified. He gets very worried. He's a little chihuahua, Jack Russell mix, who gets very worried and barks. And their other dog is just this, she's a bit younger, little mini schnauzer, who just is the same as Phantom, like wants to play, wants to go nuts, is like, and she, you can see she just barks because she's like, oh my God, everyone's barking. This is so much <laughs> yeah. fun. This is great. And you're like, no, babe, please don't do that. That's embarrassing. But training them. So our my approach to them is they do do some training together, but we split them up and do different training because even though it is the same outcome, especially with barking, because barking I feel is, even though it's a physical thing they're doing, it's very emotions based. So like you said, one of them is barking because of fear or not like they're unsure. And they want the thing to leave. And the other is barking out of possible like excitement, frustration that they can't get to the other dog. So tackling those two things, whilst it is the same behavior that they're presenting of barking, how can we deal with the big feelings? Because keep in mind, even though dogs do age, they've got the cognizant level of a two to three-year-old child. So even though, you know, you get a 10-year-old dog, you've got this little toddler who's like got big feelings sometimes and they're just like well I'm just gonna yell about it and you're like okay I've got to now unravel the reason why you're doing this and how can I like help you and support you to not feel the need to bark constantly and some breeds do bark more than others that's always delightful but yeah figuring it out and I would definitely get a trainer to come and like split them up and see what's going on. We're gonna take a quick break for commercials and we'll be right back with our guest. back i have a question about dog friendships so like (laughs) Mm. my dog could not be less interested in certain other dogs but my neighbor downstairs we he moved like i moved in and then my dog 
it never likes other dogs, is obsessed with people, but all of a sudden is obsessed with his dog. And the two of them are like buddy, buddy to the point that if I walk past the house and Bunny is outside and I can't even see her, Beans will be like, won't move unless I lift him up to look at her. And they look at each other and they they like they're like are obsessed with each other. And I'm just like, how did that happen? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, bless. That's so sweet. They became besties. Besties. Are they? Beans is a chihuahua? Beans is a chihuahua. And this dog is like a little like shih tzu dog. Oh, bless. That's so sweet. Oh, my goodness. It's so funny. As I, I think I said before that like as I mean, you think about what our dogs are bred for. So like chihuahuas, mostly just like, I mean, all dogs were bred to hang out with people. So as they do get older, some dogs, again, like are very dog friendly. Some dogs are so- dog social. Some dogs are dog selective. So they just like have their own how they feel about other dogs. But when it comes to little chihuahuas, I mean, they were bred to be, when you think about it, just like little hot water bottles. They're very good. I always joke that in our house, if someone was to break in, my chihuahua would be the first to hear it. The Sharpe would go and like try and sort it out. And then the Rottweiler would get up and be like, all right, fine, I'll go fix this problem (laughs) um, because I'm the biggest one. But the chihuahua would hear it first. And they're bred to be little like a little arm systems. They hear everything. They've got those big ears and they're just bred to hang out with people. So it's not surprising that he was kind of like, eh, I don't really care about dogs all that much. I like my people. That's really fun. But it's hard. I mean, it, it really is. It's hard to know why maybe they have the same energy. I mean, different dogs do have different play styles and were bred for different things. So they like doing different things. So having a little Shih Tzu, also a little lap dog that's just like wants to hang. But it's very sweet and it's very um interesting that he can tell that she's she. Yeah, that she's there. They're like, I was like, this is your best friend. You've never had a best friend. How did this happen? <laughs> I'm not sure why it happened, but it is interesting the fact that he knows because dog's sense of smell is 100,000 times better than ours. Mm-hmm. So they can smell. I think I read the other day that it was two teaspoons of sugar in a swimming pool's like size amount of water. Like They could pick that up. So their sense of smell is bananas. So he has already smelled her like down the street. He's like, I know what's going on. I know that she's there. So it's really cute. But yeah, it's... uh. Maybe they've just got the same vibe. They're just like, I like, I like you. You're chill. You're also chill. This is good. So, <laughs> you mentioned earlier that dogs are constantly talking to us, and we just need to like learn how to interpret yes. it. So, what are some things that dogs like relay to us that we might not be realizing? Oh my god, so many things. And once you understand dog behavior and the way that dogs do things, you can't unsee it. You watch a video on dog behavior, and you'll be out at a cafe, and you'll be like, that dog is stressed. That dog's happy. So we see the world like we look at things, human beings look at things and we talk. That's how we converse like and get to know each other. We have chats, literally what we're doing right now. Whereas dogs read body language and they smell things. So the way they get their information is through sniffing things to the point where like if you take your dog for a 15 minute sniffy walk, it's the equivalent, about the equivalent of an hour's like run. So they're constantly learning, but they are also communicating with us through there's different it can be literally to the point of like where their eyes are set, where their tail is set, where their ears are set. If they are bark, like I always tell clients, don't ever growl, like don't ever tell your dogs off for growling because they're trying to communicate with you that they are uncomfortable. Um, but seeing these little things where part of being a positive reinforcement trainer, like I said, is being force free and knowing the signals when a dog is saying no, thank you. So if you were to, let's say, go to greet a dog. So when I go to greet a dog, I ask the owner first if that is, you know, okay. And then I ask the dog, do they actually want a pat? Because you'll often see people 
go up to a dog and stick their hand out and be like, sniff my hand. And I'm like, don't do that. That's not, not smart. Not a good move. I don't know where that myth of we need to put our hands out to dogs for them to sniff us first. They have scanned you like predator. They know exactly <laughs> what is going on. They're like, we're good. This is fine. So what I often do is, depending on the size of the dog, wiggly, loose body language is very good. If you see a dog that is stiff and maybe not making eye contact, lip licking, or if you do go towards a dog and they turn their head away, that is a really clear sign that they're not interested. They don't want to pat. They don't want to be involved in this. So I usually let a dog just come and sniff me in general. So if I'm just standing still, come and have a sniff and, and call them over and be like, okay, do you actually want to? And if they don't want to, they will tell you, no, they'll walk off, they'll look away, they'll be like, mm. and that's a really good way to know that they are not, you know, that's, you know, those little, little cues that we often miss because I'll see people do it and then they still go pat the dog and the dog's like, clearly told you, no, thank you. I don't really want the pat today. Thanks. So there, yeah, there is lots of little, lots of little, little things they do that we often like don't even, don't even see them. I mean, I've heard too that, you know, they'll say, oh, the dog is wagging. That means he's happy. But I've also heard that the dog yeah. is wagging because he's anxious. It definitely can. And there is, um, there's a lot of info on like different tail positions for different breeds, but it also is in context with what is going on. So for puppies, sometimes when you're training puppies, they might all of a sudden you'll be in the middle of a training session and they start scratching their ears and you're like, why are you doing that? It's displacement behavior. They're going, oh, I don't really know what to do right now. So I'm just going to do something <laughs> just to fill the time. They literally go, or you'll see a dog sometimes in training where they just start sniffing and you're like, babe, you've just been, you've just been there. You, you know what's there, but they start to do it just, just to make sure that they're like, oh, I'm just filling in time while I figure out what you're asking from me. I'll just have a little sniff over here. But same with like yawning. So yawning, doing a dog yawning at you, if they're uncomfortable, is a good sign that they are uncomfortable. But also it is in the context. If your dog has also been running around for an hour and they yawn, they're probably just tired. Same with lip licking. A dog that um, I often see when people are like, putting children near dogs sometimes a really good sign that a dog is uncomfortable is that they might lick their lips and like turn their head away now granted that makes sense to me but like if a dog has just eaten and they lick their lip they lick their lips that makes sense because they've just eaten like it's all about context and what is actually happening and you have to read the rest of the dog as well so if they're wagging their tails and we've got this big like open soft mouth and wiggly body language that's probably fine we're probably like yep happy dog, great. But if you've got a dog that is very stiff and potentially staring you down or ears back or, you know, not, it's very, um, like two dogs coming together on lead sometimes is not like, that's very, um, straight body language and not the most friendly. That's why dogs like usually do like lots of curves and around. So if they're all stiff and we've got like a waggy tail, that is put it all together. It's the whole picture is really important. I hope that made some sense. <laughs> No, I learned about that lip licking thing a couple months ago and it broke my heart because almost every time I go over to Pet Sugar, she licks her lips. Oh, and Allison. I'm like, oh. oh no, she doesn't want this. This is my question that's related to that. Is that how do you know if your dog loves you? So this is something I had with my Chihuahua, uh, funnily enough, for uh, when I first got him, he was a very anxious little dog, really worried like hadn't really met any other dogs, hadn't gone anywhere, wasn't toilet trained, this poor little thing. And I thought at the beginning when I got him, I was like, oh, I wasn't even intending to keep him. I was like, I just got to get him out of this home because he's a little rescue and I will find him a new 
new home, but I fell in love and he's the light of my life now. So he's not going anywhere. <laughs> but I thought when I got him that he didn't like me and he was extremely stressed all the time because he does these big eyes and tucks his head away and cowers quite a bit. And what I've realized, because I've had him for so long, is it's appeasement behavior. He's just letting me know, even though I love you so much, I'm just, I, I'm not going to cause you any trouble. I'm not going to cause you any harm. I'm just a really small, sweet boy. And I'm like, I'm not going to, I've never, you know, never done any, obviously would never do anything to him, but he's always like, I'm just, I'm very gentle and I'm very small. And he does these little things where I just thought, oh my God, he's so stressed all the time. And I realized, no, he's just trying to let me know that he is safe and secure and he's not a trouble and he's not a worry in the world. I'm like, okay, that's fine. So they do definitely have, like I said before, like they've, they have the that cognizant level of a three-year-old. So they do have emotions. They do have, um, let me have a look. I wrote these down so I knew exactly what they were because I always forget because people call them, sometimes people say care and they mean love, but you know. Mm. So there's, they have fear and rage and panic and grief, um, but they also do have care and play and like seeking. So they're like constantly learning and doing those things. They do love us, but they don't have those big complex emotions like shame and stubbornness and all of those things. But no, they definitely love us. Mm-hmm. I think Sugar loves me. I'm trying to learn how to engage with her when she wants to engage instead of all the time, (laughs) which was how I used to be before. (laughs) Oh, it's so tempting, isn't it? Sometimes I will do that with my dogs where I want to play with them. And then the moment they decide they're like, no, we're going to have a nap. I'm like, why? Just come come and hang out with me. It's like, please. And they're just like, no, 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 thank you. But that's why we love dogs. They have their own little personalities. Like, you know, I love what I love about training is that you there's kind of I've got all these things to like do with dogs, but it is working out what works for them. And like it's like a puzzle every time. So trying to figure out the dog's personalities and what they've learned before and all of this stuff, it factors into like how we can teach them things. So every dog, you know, there's always the exception to the rule. Like I have a Sharpay. They're not normally the ones I've met anyway, have not been the friendliest of dogs based on what they've been read for. But I somehow have lucked out with this amazingly, most of the time, very chill boy. Mm -hmm. But they all have their own little like quirks. And I think that's what, what, that's why we have them because they're just so nice. (laughs) Yeah. They're the best part of my life. (laughs) I think it's important for people getting dogs to realize that they're not just accessories and they're not just uh, yes. going to do what you want them to do. And they're not just like little dolls for you, that they're actual animals. And I think a lot of times people get them as these sort of symbols and don't really want, don't, don't have a hard time with the dog having its own personality, which kind of reminds me of children, you know, yeah. in a way. And like, yeah, you, you have to take care of the dog. <laughs> you have to like be, you know, open to how that dog behaves or that a dog, having a dog is rewarding and also work. But people just don't want to believe that. It is a hundred. It's a luxury. I remember a vet saying to me, having a pet is a luxury. And it is one of those things where we get dogs. I think a lot of people think you just should have a dog because literally every bloke's neighbor has a dog. Like we all, the amount of times I've had people say, well, I know about dogs because I've had them my whole life. And I'm like, great. I've had teeth my whole life. Doesn't mean I'm a dentist. (laughs) This is not, it doesn't mean that you know all the stuff about dogs. And I wish sometimes people would just like read something like like you said you have a kid you you get bombarded with all this information people just get dogs and shove them in their homes and we expect them they were bred all of our dogs were bred for a reason 
some of those were working dogs. Some of them like beans is lap dogs. Like that's what they're bred for, which is great. We, you know, want little dogs that we can hang out on our laps and be little hot water bottles. It's fantastic, but they were bred for a reason. And we stopped most dogs, obviously live in cities and homes and people in suburbia and we shove them in our homes and they completely, we completely forget what they were bred for. So they've got this thing in the back of their brain that goes, I need to be doing this job. Like I need to go and do X, Y, Z, whatever I was bred for. And we don't fulfill that need anymore. I often tell clients, you know, if you had a pet pig, you would be looking up like, what are all the things that my pet pig needs to be happy? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't do that for a dog. They go, ah, it's a dog. It lives in my house. I feed it. I walk it. Right. I get, it gets walked. One of my clients walks their dog three times a day. Well, they used to. And I was like, please stop doing that. Like, what else? How can we exercise their brain? What was he bred to do? I think he was a little Jack Russell, little long haired Jack Russell. And it's like, okay, he was bred to chase things and like kill them. So how can we like incorporate some enrichment activities that get that little need out so he's not freaking out all the time? Because there's something in the back of his brain going, there's something I'm supposed to be doing constantly. How can I get that done? But then we, you know, let him, and there's nothing wrong, obviously, with letting them be in the house, but they're still, my thing is constantly, they're a dog. Mm-hmm. They're a, you've got an animal living in your home. How do we fulfill the needs that they have to make them the happiest they can be? which then also in turn makes us the happiest because they're not going around wrecking all of our stuff and being wild. So it's important. <laughs> Love that. That was really great. Now we have to play a game show, even though I'd rather talk about this for 17 more hours. <laughs> 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 so hypotheticals is a game where you and Gabe are going to be my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have. And then you tell me what you would do in that situation. And I pick my winner. Sometimes no one wins. That sounds brilliant. (laughs) Okay, so our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? Your partner of 17 years is a journalist. And 10 years ago, they wrote an article about purely online romances. In order to better understand the subject matter, they started an online romance through a chat room under an alias and false identity. They planned to end it once they were done with the article, but they felt so badly doing so that they have kept it up for a decade. Oh, my God. Would you stay with this cheater? I I think I'm in shock of thinking of the whole situation. (laughs) They've never met in person. No. And the other person thinks it's under an alias. Do they know that that's not their real name? No, like they've created an entirely fictional person that this person has thought they've been in a relationship with for 10 years. No, I'm out. Really? I'm out because that's so mean to the other person. That's so mean to them. I don't like it. I don't like that they've like lied. I don't like that. I mean, unless the other person is like also lying and is like, this is sort of what it's implied like, oh, this is sort of what we're doing. And it's not like, you know, it's an online romance. So it's not, you know, ever going to get physical and maybe we're just role playing. I don't know. But are they sexting? Um, No, it's more emotional. Yeah, I'm out. I can't do it. I That's so annoying. I started just listening to Gabe's answer and I was like, I agree. This is bananas. I've got nothing to add to this. I'm out. This is insane. But you don't see the kindness in, in keeping this up for 10 no. years for a stranger? No, I think that, okay, I think that there's people that want to break up and they don't break up. And I think that that's not a kindness. That's actually leading the person on. And I think it would yeah. have been better just to end Just, it. just. No, and that you're just leading them on. And I mean, how are they going to end it? Are they going to be like, it was a catfish the whole time? Or are they going to say it was really them? 
Or like they're going to say like, hey, it's me, Augustus Wallpaper, which I assume is his made up name. Hey, it's me, Augustus Wallpaper. I actually have to end this relationship. Or are they going to be like, I was never Augustus Wallpaper? Well, they haven't ever ended it. But I think I think if you're going to end it, you should end it as Augustus Wallpaper. Because why cause them all that trauma? What's more traumatic? You would never know if somebody just like you've been in an online relationship with is like, I just met someone in real life. This has been so wonderful. I wish you all the best. Versus like, I was never real. This was all a lie. Why tell them that? Yeah, I guess. I I think, why did they confess it to you now? You found, you found it. No, fuck that. (laughs) I just found it out. No, I hate that shit. Goodbye. Yeah. Okay, I'll accept this answer. (laughs) Fine. Okay, our next one. Are you a terrible parent? Your child, eight, has separation anxiety and doesn't like sleeping over at other people's homes. In order to make your home more enticing, you totally trick out your game room with VR and a ping pong table and tons of snacks. This means all the kids always want to stay over at your house Uh so your kid can have sleepovers without freaking out. Uh 20 years pass and your child still lives at home and is always having people over in the game room. Are you a terrible parent? I don't think at the time you were a terrible parent, but there's got to be some boundaries, right? Like at some point you're like, no more. This this (laughs) This is my home. I don't know. Have you kept up the technology up to date? Like at the the room is still like a really fun modern game room. Yeah, or is it just no? The same? It's just what you did when they were when they were eight. So it's but nostalgic. you keep replenishing. You keep replenishing the snacks, but everything else is the same. So it's incredibly nostalgic. They go down there and they're going back to a happier time. Well, they've never really even left that time. They they you know stunted. Is it upsetting little. you that you're having people like that? They're having people come around all the time, or are you cool with it? You would prefer that there weren't people in your house all the time, but you also don't want to ruin your child's social life. Does my child have a job? Uh, yeah, your child has a job, but they've chosen to stay in the house. They don't want to live by themselves. Why are you replenishing all the snacks? Like, if you don't like it, stop enabling <laughs> them into having the people around. Be like, no more. If you want to have people around, you organize it. That's a great point. But they actually, they play, they pay to replenish the snacks. Uh, oh, th- okay. Wow. Do they pay a lot of the electricity bill because of how often they're playing video games in VR? No. Do they give you warning that people are coming around? Oh, good question. Yeah. <sighs> okay. And if you say not tonight, do they say okay? Well, you know, it's a, you have a big house and it's in the basement. <laughs> so you tend to let them. I think this is fine. I don't think you're a bad parent. <laughs> no. I don't think you're a bad parent. I think, I think you know what? You've kept your family together. Yeah. It's really fun. Are you allowed to go down and play with them? Yeah. Yeah, I think this is great. I think it's nice. Yeah, Yeah. I think it's great. I do not think you're a bad parent. For once in this show, I don't think you're a bad parent. (laughs) Because mostly I'm just down for a game room, I guess, is what I've learned. Yeah. And I don't think that children need to move out of their parents' house. I also don't think that. Yeah. No, no. Wonderful. He has friends. He has a job. He has a game room. What more could I ask for? He's paying for the snacks. Like, that's all you need. Yeah. That's so true. And I get to play. Fun, bonding. (laughs) Okay, perfect. Our final game. Is this a date? And I will say that this one has been contributed by Ruth Raskin. Oh, Allison's mother. Yeah, she said she set up the scenario for me. Okay, I I love that. Details, but she came up with the scenario. I love it. 
you are stuck in bumper to bumper traffic on the highway. Uh huh. You have your windows down and so does the car to your left. You start chatting and after a few minutes, they share that they have a secret shortcut once they get off the next exit that takes them past a great donut place if you want to follow them. Is this a date? Yes. Oh, yes. But I'd also be so worried they were lying to me and trying to lure me away with donuts. They're trying to kill you? Yeah, like... I mean, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I had an ex who was extremely chaotic. And the one they met one of their best friends because they were both in traffic. And my ex I was smoking a cigarette and leaned over. They had they both had like their windows open and said, hey, do you have a lighter? And the girl was like, yeah, and threw a lighter <laughs> it, into my ex's car. And then my ex lit the cigarette and then threw the lighter back. And then the girl was like, do you want to do you want to get off and like get lunch or whatever? And they were both like, yeah, let's do it. Wait, so this really this happened? happened. Say, yeah, but it, it wasn't a date. They just became best friends. Oh, that's wild. I was going to say, was it a date? No, it was not a date. I It ended up being a friendship. Wow. Oh. So I think I think this is a date. That's contradictory to what you just said, though. But like, it could have been a date. Like, I mean, they want to they get to know you better. Okay. There's potential. Would you follow them? I mean, my gut instinct is no, but I would say it probably is a date. I probably would also just ask, are you asking me on a date? Like, what is this? Why are we doing this? I've got places to be. But no, I'm going to go with it is a date. Shannon has cracked, is this a date? Yeah, you asked. <laughs> you just say, hey, is this a date? Wow, it took us this long to I realize know. that that's something you can do. I'm busy. I've got things wow. to do. Just ask. I love that energy. Oh my gosh, this has been so fun and informative. Where can everyone find you and follow you and learn more about doggos? You can find me on Instagram at walks and borks. That's bark with an O. And I have nice. a website, which is walksandborks.com.au. That's pretty much it. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Woof. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about guilt by association, a.k.a. Taylor Swift and Maddie Healy. Back to just between us. It's time for topic. X X X X X X Baby. Beautiful. Melissa likes to go opposite of me. <laughs> yeah. My voice is getting so low. I like. I it's. I can't. I'm like. There's days where I just can't even talk. What does it feel like? You can't move. Like it's so weird. Like even trying to sing or trying to like move your vocal cords in a certain way, you can't. It just won't do it. I was skimming through a very old episode and I thought the guest was talking and it was you. <laughs> right? Isn't that so weird? Yeah. Anyway, speaking of singing. Uh, I was going to say, speaking of dramatic changes. Oh, both are very good. <laughs> if you're a Swifty, you know, if you're just on the internet, you probably know that Taylor Swift has broken up with her boyfriend of about six years and is now rumored to be dating or canoodling or at the very least good friends with Maddie Healy from 1975. And you might say, hey, why are we talking about this on a podcast? Yeah. And the reason is that Maddie Healy has um, some really bad takes and has done <laughs> some really controversial and racist things. And so it has now become a question of, what does it mean for Taylor to be associated with someone 
who has been so blatantly problematic. Well, I always think of her as being so curated in what she does and so um, intentional about like who she surrounds herself with or what she like. I It's like she's so concerned with PR and what she looks like that I'm like, this is kind of very surprising because it, it it's like she doesn't ever since reputation, like she doesn't really want to do anything that would make her look poorly. So it's so strange. But um, I also I don't know. I mean, I guess like who among us hasn't rebounded? Like there's two things people talking about, oh, she moved on really quickly or she cheated. But that's like so secondary to who this guy is, actually. It's also like how long was she broken up with that other guy, like rebounding, whatever. Like you don't actually know how long that they've been broken up. Yeah, and she's been friends with him for like 10 years, Maddie. Yeah. It's funny to me that like your brain goes to Taylor Swift, the businesswoman, the machine of it, that like the, oh, the public imagery of it, where my brain goes to like the personal disappointment that this person who I think is like such a powerhouse has such compromised morals that they would be associated with a racist. That's what's so crazy is like, it's like such a clear mistake. Like she could have been on her era's tour, hanging out with her girl group. Everyone would have loved her. Everyone would have been on her side. And like she could have really, it's just like such a clear mistake, weirdly. I have gone on record with this many of times that I don't think she's had a good song since Love Story. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, now <laughs> come not, on. And I, I, I like you know her music is fine, but I'm not a fan. I haven't. I was years ago, but not anymore. And so I'm kind of like on the outside looking in as far as like I don't have any connection to her or have any standards for her because I don't yeah. care that much. But there, I don't know how to explain it, but there's just been this feeling that I've had about her for a while that I just don't trust her. Mm -hmm. And so to me, this is not surprising at all. So let me get into the the Maddie Healy of it all. So I actually went and listened to the podcast he was on that got a lot of flack. And I also, like, I'm a big fan of context and nuance, right? So one of the things that people are upset at him about is that he did the Nazi salute during a song and then said, thank you, Kanye. I don't think you can ironically do the Nazi salute. I think that's like a real privileged uh, situation. You can uh, you can do that ironically. Now, was that commentary on Kanye? Maybe. Okay, fine. I, I get that. I went and listened to the Adam Freeland show episode that he was on because I was like, okay, if we're going to talk about this, I want to have actually heard the show. The point of that show is to be problematic. Now, the thing is, is that when I listened to it, it was it just sounded like a bunch of sort of loser comedy dudes being like, this is how we're going to be funny is we're going to be like, you know, we're going to say some shit that's like, like jarring or or problematic or uh, whatever. Oh, we're not going to be PC. OK, then I read, oh, it's a satirical podcast that's like making fun of Joe Rogan. Mm, I didn't really get that vibe from listening to it. But it did just sound like how a bunch of like loser comedy dudes would talk to each other like in a green room or something. The problem is, is that even the 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 confidence to go on a show like that and speak that that way and have that knowledge to say those things is like negative. Right. Because like to, he had to have been able to say 
oh, I talked about this person this way. I talked about this person this way. One of the bigger problems is he talks about watching this violent porn that like is violent against black women. So even if he's being funny, he has to have the base knowledge of this racist stuff in order to quote unquote be ironic about it. Does that make sense? Like he has to he has to have that knowledge and think it's funny to talk about and not feel ashamed to talk about it and think that it's something that like it almost felt like they were all these like guys trying to one up each other over how problematic they could be, which like I understand could be quote unquote ironic, but it also is like disgusting. Does that make sense? Like it's like this disgusting yeah. sort of like base knowledge you have to have of being racist in order to even make those jokes. Well, right. And I, I guarantee that Maddie Healy does not think that he's racist. Right. And I guarantee that he tells Taylor Swift that he's not racist. But what I have to think about is like, what is public perception? Exactly. And public perception is that this man has repeatedly done incredibly offensive things that have hurt marginalized groups and uh, and been and been perceived as blatant racism. Right. And so you're then saying, I'm going to associate myself with someone who the public perceives as racist. And there is like so much damage in that, right? Because it is like, it is saying that like, oh, well, you misunderstood or it's my personal life. Like, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to address it. And, right. and this one tweet that I think was really great was like, they said the things going on with Taylor and Maddie Healy are in a, it's a person, it's her personal life situation. Associating with someone who is so, so clearly racist, misogynist, anti-Semitic, and just steeped in bigotry is being bigoted in itself. Yes. Right. This man is atrocious and Taylor is associating. Yes. And I think that that, and it also like goes against a lot of what she said in Miss Americana. Yeah. And like presenting as someone who is aware of, of, of racial disparity, disparity issues, and, yeah. and, and appearing to care about them. But then to like be like, yeah, but I'm fucking this guy who or even just even just, just associating, even him, just yeah. being friends with being being publicly photographed with is is a sending out a message that like casual racism is no big deal. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I couldn't imagine listening to that podcast, even knowing that it's comedy and wanting to even be friends with that that person. Like right. I would be like I was like, this is the dumbass and like a racist idiot. And then also, I, you know, we can't let Phoebe Bridgers off the hook. Phoebe Bridgers is also extremely close friends with him. And that's like really like there's a lot of women that surround themselves with him, which I don't really understand. It makes me feel like that scene in 10 Things I Hate About You where she where like he's like, what's with this chick? She got beer flavored nipples. Like, why is everyone obsessed? Like, why? Why are women like, OK, being around him? But it is just white women who are racist, probably, or who think casual racism is fine or who don't really care or whatever. But I can't. It's hard because one thing that I saw that really drove it home for me was this woman saying my 12 year old is a fan of Taylor Swift and now has to know what that porn site is mm. like now, like looked up and like has to know, like because of this situation and her association with this person knows these like very inappropriate racist things now. Like that's a, like. You have a responsibility because you're you're introducing him to your fans. Does that make sense? Like you're introducing and signing off on this to your fans. Yeah. And I mean, uh, another another tweet that I thought was important to mention was like the tweeter said, I feel like it has now gone to a point where people come for Taylor 
more than they do for Maddie. And it is definitely perpetuating the idea that women are always responsible for men's wrongdoings. I don't... Which is, but it's interesting, right? Because I think that like 1975 was a popular band. It's yeah. still a popular band. People, I think people that that like were still kind of supporting 1975, but are now outraged about Taylor's association, which is like mm-hmm. this interesting thing of like, I, I think she is completely responsible for this association, but it is like an element of like 1975 and Matt, Maddie Healy is now getting more attention. Yeah for the racism because of her association, which is like, might be a a, a female thing or might be a she's the bigger star thing. You yeah. know what I, I mean? Yeah. I don't know. That's what I was going to say. I've never heard of this band before. I've oh, never really? heard of him until all this stuff happened. And I think it's because she's a bigger yeah. star than him. It's more so. And then because she's, I'm saying she's held to a higher standard, not because she's a woman, but because she's made statements mm-hmm. She's saying, created those standards yes, for she's herself. she's creating standards for herself. He hasn't. Right. And so, like, people expect that from him. And if you expect something from someone, then, like, it's like they, they're they going to be continue to be a horrible person. But more is expected of her from, like, people that are fans of her, like, because they expect and respect her. But mm-hmm. then you lose that respect because of her association with him. I mean, I was already pretty upset that she had not she went and played Nashville and did not say one fucking word about the drag ban did not do anything about the the trans stuff she's not spoken up about any of that I mean and we have Kelsey Ballerini doing the most we have Haley Kyoko talking about getting you know flack in Tennessee for maybe bringing drag queens on like there are people who are doing more and like we there's all these excuses made for her but I think that yes there is at when I was a woman I was associated with someone who was accused of of rape and like that I did I do understand that but this is like choosing to date and choosing to be with someone knowing right like I didn't know choosing to be with someone who's you know is is this type of person yeah. and you have all of this evidence. I mean, it's just maybe she doesn't care. Maybe she doesn't exactly. care. Maybe she's just like, I'm about to be a billionaire. I don't care. I'm with my friends. We're untouchable. People are still going to buy my music. Doesn't I don't give a fuck. That's the vibe that's going off for me. That's what's so deeply upsetting to me. Right. Is that's like that's like what's hurting my heart is that it, it's obvious that she's a person that doesn't care about associating with a racist. And like, that's so not who I thought that she was. It's not who I wanted her to be. Even if that's who she was behind closed doors, that there was like an awareness to not be that in public or do you know what I mean? Like I would prefer her to be it in public because then you know what you're dealing with. Yeah. But it's, it's just deeply, deeply disappointing. And, um, I, I'm curious, like I'm what curious. So I saw someone on TikTok talking about that. She's just like burning her whole brand down. And um, maybe that's intentional. Maybe she's like having. So it's the way of America. Yeah. She's just like (sighs) post breakup becoming her worst self. I don't know. I just have a feeling that this is who she's been. And I'm not like I've just always had this feeling about her. There's this fragile white woman thing, too, where she's she's little by little expressed that she's problematic in Mm -hmm. her music. Right. She writes a lot of songs about cheating where she's she's the cheater. But then if a man cheats, he's horrible. Or, you know, I'm very skeptical now of sort of music by people who paint themselves as the victim every single time and every single song, because I'm like, is that true? 
Like she'll give you just enough to be like, I'm the problem. I'm the antihero, but then doesn't really do anything to fix that. And also is like, and also I'm wronged by every single person. And it's like, I don't feel that that can be true. And also there's some really fucked up shit where like thinking about the, the ways in which her fan base attacks people right? and that she doesn't really say anything or do anything about it. Like, fine. Like Jake Gyllenhaal was mean to you for three months, whatever. But like, does he deserve to have to like shut down his comments for a relationship that happened 10 years ago? Like, I don't know. Does like, you know, I think there's this thing of like, she's always the baby. She's always the baby girl. And we have to, everyone else is hurting her for her big white woman tears. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I remember when I was, this was brought up where she came for that show, Ginny and Georgia and about it being sexist. But one of the stars of that is like a young black girl and all her fans started like gunning for this young black girl and like, and like being like, you know, even though she didn't write the episode, she's just fucking actress. And then Taylor just let that happen. Yeah. I don't really judge someone for like what the lyrics of their song say, because I think that's just art and like whatever. But I do think that, you know, it's always been disappointing to me that she's not been more political and that she hasn't used her power for more good. But now she is being political and now, it's in the in way, the wrong we, way now we know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it sucks. It really sucks because I do really love her music. I think Folklore and Evermore were really, really amazing. And like, I think, you know, she could have had, I just don't understand. I, I Maybe she just doesn't want it anymore. Maybe she's just like, I'm making all my money from eras and I'm and I don't care about like looking a certain way anymore. And so I'm out. I don't know. Or there's just a different sect that now it's a different fan base you can tap into now. I don't know. I mean, she's she's supposed to direct a movie. She got all this stuff where she tried to be a director. She worked with David O. Russell, who, by the way, is a monster. If you don't know David O. Russell, she was in his latest movie, which did bomb. But it was like, OK, go watch him calling Lily Tomlin a cunt in I Heart Huckabees. It's really like intense and no director should behave that way. But also he openly admitted to like harassing his trans niece. So go look that up. Oh, yeah. And she was just in the movie. There's also that uh, movie, too, where the crawdads sing, which is also racist and terrible. And mm-hmm. the, the author of that book is racist and terrible. And she did the. the and a murderer. And a murderer. And, and, a murderer. and she did the <laughs> and she did the uh, music for that. And yeah. I side I her and um, Reese Witherspoon for that. So, yeah. Uh, Reese Witherspoon. Don't take Reese Witherspoon I away know. from me. I know. <sighs> Even though she is. I understand that she is a um like a southern a southern white woman and we should be suspicious. Yeah. I, I where I have like suspicion for Taylor, I don't have it for Reese, but I'm like that that you, you put that in your book club and then produce the movie and I'm like Oof. I think some people just don't do research. They just yeah. don't they don't look into things enough. But I would say that maybe Reese Witherspoon doesn't do research because someone else does her Instagram or whatever, but we have long known Taylor commented on Tumblr. Taylor responds to things. Taylor like likes things on TikTok. Like we know that she sees this shit. Oh, no, no. I'm talking. Yeah, I'm talking more about these people that like produce things that are by people that later are revealed to be. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that the guilt by association thing is something that in general we don't talk about enough because it's always like, oh, well, I don't feel that way. But then it's like, but you're hanging out with someone mm-hmm. that does. And mm-hmm. like, I think that that's like where I tend to get into arguments like with family members and and people who I know who aren't as progressive leaning as me, where it's like, yeah, but like they're my, I've known them forever. I'm like, whatever. But like, what message is that sending to the people in your life 
who they're blatantly racist against or blatantly mistreat mistreat or you know like you're sending a message by who you say it's okay to tolerate mm-hmm. and people were saying like most of her backup dancers for this tour are black and like it was like how do you keep touring like i mean you're, you're getting your paycheck so whatever but it's like god but i also think that like in terms of turning down opportunities like it's like what position of power are you in like these right. they dan- these no, dancers no, no, no. don't need to you yeah know? it's not on this no, it's not it's on them hurt. i'm saying i'm saying i hope they feel safe that's what yeah. i'm saying yeah. i'm not blaming them I, what i meant to say was like i hope that they don't feel like they're not like having extra stress because of this and i also just think like in terms of working with problematic people you know if it's your first acting job versus your fucking taylor swift exactly. there's, like, there's a difference you mm-hmm. don't have to decide to exactly. work with that guy in the way that like someone who's been hustling and this is their mm-hmm. one opportunity it just feels different to me yeah so anyway very controversial i'm afraid of this of the feedback and, we're gonna get for this <laughs> i'm a gayler like i'm a gayler I know. I'm, and yeah. and this is like deeply confusing I'm deeply upset yeah it's like very confusing especially as like a gayler who Again, like people can be bisexual. Maybe she is queer and she had these relationships and she's bi and whatever. But like, God, this is like the worst person you could choose. I don't even understand. I understand that podcast is comedy. It's not my type of comedy. And listening to that, I simply would, even if you were like, oh, that doesn't really mean he's racist. It's comedy. I would not be able to date that person. Yeah. And there's and and again, whatever he is saying about it, whatever he thinks in his head about how he's behaved. What matters more is how people perceive his behavior. Do you know? Like, yeah. I don't care if in private he's telling her, oh, I'm not racist. You don't but have anything to worry actions. about. It's, it's your like- actions. And it's how those actions are perceived. And guess what? You are perceived as a racist. Yeah. And therefore, you're you're associating with someone who's perceived that way. He also said he would never date Taylor Swift because it would be emasculating. And also in listening to this podcast, I also, again, people are like, you're taking these out of context. I listen to the show and I understand who these guys are in these comics. And I know that they did another show called Come Town. I'm as nuanced as you get into who these people are. And uh, they're also deeply fat phobic in the episode. Mm -hmm. So I listened to the whole fucking thing. Come for me. What do we rate this episode? I rate it 11 out of 10 dogs making friends. Oh. I'll read it. 30 out of 12. You may have lost your diamond, but you'll have a friend in Melissa Diamond Mont forever. <laughs> Put it on a t-shirt. Put it on a t-shirt. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> I'll read it. I'll read it. 150 out of 75 uh, alcohol-free nights in. Nice. Diamonds are forever. Not really. Melissa Diamond. (laughs) Mont is, though. Yes. (laughs) Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabe Dunn. Produced by Melissa Diamond Mont. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also, you can follow this podcast at Just Between Us Pod on TikTok and at JBU Podcast on Instagram. Also, I'm on Instagram now at Gabe S. Dunn. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Raskin. And on TikTok at, at Allison Raskin Baby. And I'm on TikTok as Dabby Gun. So branding's going really well over here. Yeah, good luck finding us. Forever.